Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers who are joining us tonight. Hope you're staying nice and warm because it is cold as hell here. Uh, want to welcome some of our viewers. Singer Chick is with us. Khaleesi, of course, our moderator. Saz is also moderating. Welcome to CC Wheezy, Philip Thompson, Lindsay Sparks. On the Instagram side, Orange is with us. Uh, let's see, Fernandida is with us. Marie is moderating. Alexandra King is also with us. So, welcome to all you guys. Like I said, I hope you're enjoying your evening. And I got that email today from Netflix. They are raising their prices. Again, it is now going up to $17.99. Wow. They just keep raising and raising their prices, but they are getting every quarter millions and millions more subscribers. So, to them, why the hell not, right? It's going to reach a point, though, where it gets to be a little too much. But uh, I don't know if you guys, there's different levels of service you can have on Netflix. And it all depends as to how many simultaneous devices can be streaming Netflix. I think the most basic plan they offer is two devices. And that's like their cheapest plan. I don't know how much that's worth right now. Or it's going to be come January 15th. But starting January 15th, I have the four device plan, which I think is their maximum. There's five of us living here, me and my wife and three kids. So, yep, up to 17 bucks and 99 cents. Anyway, uh, Philip Thompson says it's cold here as well. Philip Thompson, you're in Canada or in Montana, I believe. But well, you are, yep, you're in Montana. Yeah, it's, I can imagine it's cold in Montana right now. Anyway, let's get on to some news here. Uh, you know, fear's in the middle of a great season. I think we can all agree on that. But, you know, writers still have to write. And they still have to come up with uh, stuff to write about. And this article right here is simply titled, What Fear the Walking Dead Needs to Change. Of course, it's in the middle of a great season. It needs to change. <laughs> Despite elevating the quality in season six, Fear the Walking Dead still has not found a reason to exist. Damn. And I thought we were all enjoying it. Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian crossover, it's so much bigger than all of us. Uh, Christopher... Eccleston uh, shares first look. Uh, these are all different people who are just giving their reviews. Um, in our review of the first three episodes of Fear of the Walking Dead, sixth season, we were largely negative. Coming off the show's fifth season, widely acknowledged as the show's all-time low, it was always going to take a period of heavy lifting to salvage sense from axis-splitting fired bullets. Okay, I guess they didn't like that whole John Dory hold up the axe and let me split the bullet into two thing. And a hot air balloon ride mid-apocalypse. To the credit of showrunners Andrew Shambliss and Ian Goldberg, after the recent mid-season finale, the show has made significant leaps towards course correction. The episodes revolved around John and John and June Dory, especially are the best in recent memory, offering compelling murder mystery detours and twists, which finally handed Virginia some interesting material to work with. The promising upturn almost makes you want to forgive the occasional lazy writing habits, which echoed last season. Morgan's magical ability to appear at every convenient moment across an entire region became laughable by the mid-season finale, yet it's easier to roll with the ride when guided by a brisk pace, memorable encounters, and the promise of a payoff. Like I said, there are people who are always going to find something wrong, no matter how good quality of a show or a movie you give them 
why they're called critics. It's the latter, however, where Fear the Walking Dead feels shaky. This is building towards a confrontation between Morgan's allies and Virginia's camp, while a mysterious new graffiti group potentially threatens them both. Sound familiar? Yeah, I mean, it's what we've seen throughout the entire history of The Walking Dead. It's people against people. Imagine what they're going to say if Madison does return. Oh my God, they're, they're going to be some that are going to be praising it up and down. And there's going to be a, a huge chunk of these guys that are going to tear it apart. Why the hell did you bring Madison back after so long? Why was she missing? And blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it's the same beat The Walking Dead has danced for countless seasons, taking down Negan's saviors, make way uh, for the Whisperers, eliminate the governor at the prison, bump into Terminus cannibals down the street. I guess they want a just a happy kumbaya post-apocalyptic world. It's a, it's a villainous cycle which allowed The Walking Dead to reinvent itself and continually push back the goalpost throughout the apocalypse aftermath. When Fear spinoff was first announced, it was pitched as a prequel to experience the start of the outbreak. It was. A show to cover new ground in the Walking Dead universe, filling the unseen gap of what happened before Rick Grimes woke up in the hospital to an abandoned city. Six seasons later, Fear the Walking Dead has stretched beyond its original purpose. The timeline has interwoven with the mainline show. Multiple characters have transitioned from one to another. Uh, that's not actually accurate. Only from The Walking Dead to Fear have actors actually transitioned characters. And only three of Fear's original cast are left standing. Without its unique selling point, Fear the Walking Dead seems to have latched onto the same repeated cycle the Walking Dead uses to keep the drama ticking over with poor success in comparisons to the main show's highlights. What do you guys think about that? I mean, I know I'm being sarcastic as I read this. I gotta be because I don't agree with a, a single word that they're saying. Yeah, when Fear first originally came out, it was just supposed to show us the beginning of the apocalypse. And it did. Do I wish that lasted longer? Yeah, I do. Uh, but did they show it? Yeah, the, especially the first several episodes before they got onto the boat. I think what it's pissing them off the most about the early seasons is the fact that season two, uh, at least the first half of season two, took a, a, on board the Abigail, the yacht, and they were at sea. And they did give us a different perspective. Where in the Walking Dead universe did we ever get an iota of a glimpse at what was going on out at sea? Fear tried to do that for us. Whether it was successful or not, well, that's up to you guys to decide. Without this larger purpose, the improvements in Fear of the Walking Dead sixth season feel like a temporary, temporary bandage over a gushing hemorrhage. When the spinoff walks and talks like the main show, what's the point of it anymore? Aside from checking out the Walking Dead crossover support raft, keeping the ship afloat. Comparatively, The Walking Dead's new spinoff, World Beyond, is already showing signs of benefiting from its limited two-season run. While it started out trudging a familiar path, glossed with some heavy-handed teenage cheese, the final four episodes of the first season pulled off an impressive turnaround. Well, at least to give that credit, you know? with surprising twists retroactively lifting everything that came before. That's because, guys, we have been, you know, a lot of us have been watching The Walking Dead from the very beginning. We know that the whole background to this show, Fear the Walking Dead, and even World Beyond, is about the wind-up. 
the build-up, the build-up to the big punchline, the story. It's not bam, boom, we're just going to take you straight into the action. They are going to build it up over a course of half a season, or in the case of All Out War, a full season in season seven. Some people don't like that it lasted a whole season in season seven, but that has been the theme of every Walking Dead show. They're not just going to take you straight into the action, into the pitch, without giving you the wind-up first. And they're going to go deep. They're going to go very detailed into that wind-up. Explain to you the backstories uh, in regards to certain characters and so on. And personally, I like that. I think a lot of us like that. I think a lot of us like finding out how they got to Terminus. And even in even if it did take half a season for them to get there, that led to, in my opinion, I've said this before, the best ever season premiere on The Walking Dead, and that would be season five. Would it have been such a great premiere if we did not have that big buildup at the end of season four with the group being splintered and walking uh, to Terminus? with i mean let's look at what happened in that half season the whole lizzie and carol thing happened uh tyrese everybody had their own storyline we got to see daryl and beth in a whole episode by themselves where we learn so much about daryl and that is where we really became endeared to the character of beth green if that never happened would Beth have been as popular as she became by the time her, you know, her time on the show ended in season five? No. And so this show, all these shows, this whole franchise has always been about the wind up. Anyway, the world beyond is the first time something in the Walking Dead universe that has felt focused and purposeful in a long time. There's a clear vision for this band of teenagers when compared to the usual meandering to survive feels fresh and satisfying. There's still a chance AMC could reverse its decision to stretch World Beyond beyond two seasons. Yeah, there is a chance, but I really don't see that happening. Uh, but there's hope. But there's hoping... They've learned from fear, which has chopped, changed, and dragged into renewal with seemingly nothing else left to say. The biggest ruse might be Fear the Walking Dead filling the void when The Walking Dead ends after season 11. It's hardly an enticing prospect, and with future spinoffs planned like Carol and, of course, Daryl, Along with the Rick Grimes movies, fear feels even less significant in the grand scheme. To return to form, Fear the Walking Dead needs to find compelling, original angle on the show's universe, which offers more than cynical thrills. The first half of season six reinstated confidence in fear's ability to provide coherent drama with the characters we're attached to, but like the walkers themselves, it's still only surviving by leeching on the remains of others. Now, okay, as I was reading this, seasons four and five, Fear the Walking Dead did try to do something different with the whole let's go out and save people. Yeah, we're going to run into a few bad apples here and there, but they tried it you know, through seasons four and five. And even this article, when Fear did something that The Walking Dead has never tried before, uh, they're calling it its all-time low. So now in season six, when they are, you know, following more of The Walking Dead's formula with antagonists, uh, a lot more shock factor, and so on, they're still bitching about that as well. So I would like to see them 
instead of pointing out what the problem is, I want to hear what their suggestions are for a fresh, compelling view on the show. You know, it's easy to point out the problems, but I want to hear their solutions. How would they do it differently if they were the ones in the writing room? How would they film it differently to make it fresh? Of course, they're not going to tell you that. You know why? Because they don't have a damn clue. They don't have a damn clue how to do it. So anyway, I'll get off my little soapbox right now. Now, here's something which I hope was they were kidding around. I really do. This came out of Scott Gimple's mouth. It's a whole thing. I don't know if you guys read it today or yesterday about a comedy series spinoff from The Walking Dead. I just, uh, just, just the title of that, I don't like it. Uh, but I'm trying to keep an open mind. Let's see what was actually said. The Walking Dead is ending soon, but the franchise continues to expand. Uh, Chief Content Officer Scott Gimple's plans seem to have no limits. As part of a Walking Dead Christmas special on the talk show Talking Dead, he revealed new projects that are in development, including a comedy series. Anyway, The Walking Dead becomes a comedy. Five new projects in the works. The Walking Dead will come to an end with its upcoming 11th season. Although the flagship of the zombie franchise is saying goodbye, there will be even more The Walking Dead in the future than before. In addition to the two already confirmed uh, confirmed spinoffs, the movie, uh, Skimple has... Skimple. Scott Gimple has now revealed two new projects. The Walking Dead, all upcoming films and series. For one, uh, one of the Walking Dead greatest villains is set to return. It is not known whether it is a series or a film. More than likely, it's going to be in the anthology, uh, Tales of the Walking Dead. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, he also goes on to say The Walking Dead is going to be fun with another, with another project. The Walking Dead reaches a new level of madness. So Gimple announced a comedy spinoff. This is not supposed to make fun of the world of The Walking Dead, but rather a funny interpretation of the zombie apocalypse. Uh... Now, I've talked about this, okay, in regards to Z Nation. Uh, I like, I like uh, light-hearted zombie movies. I love Zombieland. Z Nation, I hated. That, that's no secret. I hated Z Nation. Uh, they could never decide if they were going to make it a drama or a comedy, so they, they took both of them and mashed them together, and I just absolutely did not like it. Uh, the Walking Dead as a comedy, do we really need it? As grim as the zombie apocalypse is, The Walking Dead had it always had a sense of humor in certain situations. The characters Abraham and Eugene alone caused quite a few laughs in 10 years of The Walking Dead. I'm only too happy to remember Eugene's vomit attack on Rosita in Season 8. That's different, okay? Having lighthearted moments, like the moments between Rick and Daryl when they were messing around in the car and Rick put on that music that Daryl absolutely hated. Also, when they're transporting Jesus back after they first encountered him and Rick was purposely swerving the car so Jesus' head could land on Daryl's shoulder. I like that. That's not necessarily a comedy. It's just lighthearted moments in a show that is all but it's very serious. Uh, Singer Chick writes, that just doesn't appeal to me. Uh, did not like Zombieland or Z Nation, uh, but I'm not a slapstick comedy or silly humor type either. Uh, Khaleesi writes, loved Shaun of the Dead. Me too. Shaun of the Dead was amazing. Uh, welcome to Preet Naya on Instagram. Thank you for joining us. 
anyway, however, these exhilarating moments in the midst of death and ruin are far and few between without the realism of the series to compromise, but they're just nicely placed. But has anyone really asked about a pure comedy series in the Walking Dead universe? For one, I don't watch The Walking Dead to laugh. Uh, you know, I agree with that. The Walking Dead must remain true to its horror roots. I would call it more of a drama horror. World Beyond tried to apply the recipe for success to a new genre, the coming-of-age genre, and failed along the line. The more I dread a new genre change. The greater a focus on humor, fail grandiose can, proved already the fifth season of Fear the Walking Dead. Let me reread that. That a greater focus on humor, fail grandiose can, proved already the fifth season of Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, these people need to learn how to write. Uh, with the exploding front yard zombies and beer hot air balloons. Uh, the spinoff lost its seriousness and sparked all but enthusiasm amongst many fans. You know how, I mean, really, there. this is now two articles that are knocking on the hot air balloon. Granted, if you get creative, the hot air balloon is actually very believable. Them putting together an airplane back together that literally cracked in half. Me having an aviation background? No, that's not believable. But, you know, we're watching a zombie show. So we have to put a little bit of realism to the side to actually enjoy the show. Until more is known, I remain skeptical as to whether the Walking Dead comedy is a good idea. There is already a positive example. If you want to see a funny and successful parody, I could only recommend a Walking Dead special... From the, from the stop-motion series Robot Chicken. As a Walking Dead fan, I don't need anything else. So, there you guys have it. Uh, CC Weezy writes, Listening to Eugene talk is comedy enough for me. I totally agree. You know, there's only, Eugene, Josh McDermott is one of a kind. He's a, you know, he's a one-of-a-kind character on The Walking Dead. There's no way you could replace him, and he's funny as hell. And got to give those writers credit for giving him those endless, endless lines that he comes up with. Uh, Anyway, uh, the walking, this is going back to something we touched on a little bit earlier. The Walking Dead appears to be bringing the governor back somehow. Uh, You know, Gimple, this was the biggest tease from the holiday special about when Gimple said that a very evil uh, villain from the past is going to be brought back. I'm really hoping it's going to be, well, obviously it's going to be a flashback and it's probably going to be the governor. Unless they have another evil villain, more evil than the governor that they are referring to. The Walking Dead is in weird limbo period in between seasons, mostly due to COVID, partially because of its future plans for a massive two-year season 11, which will end the series before breaking it into spinoffs. And uh, there is a transitional period of time where we will get six episodes that will mostly be flashbacks for specific characters, For example, what Maggie was doing when she was away, or an adaptation of the comic prequel storyline, here's Negan. But now, the show may keep doing this even after episodes air. Scott Gimple laid out a pretty heavy hint about who they will bring back for this during the Walking Dead holiday special. We're looking on something with, with one of the greatest walking dead villains of all time and it's coming together while there are obviously a bunch of iconic dead villains in the walking dead history it seems pretty obvious that he's talking about the governor from woodbury played by david morrissey 
And when you pair it with a quote from Morrissey himself earlier this summer about potentially returning to the role, it seems almost certain that this is what's being talked about here. But in regards to Morrissey, uh, David Morrissey has been talking about reprising the governor's role for a long, long time now. Every time David Morrissey gets on an interview, he loves to talk about the governor, okay? He has made no mincemeat about it. It was his favorite character to play. Uh, he loved playing the governor, and he welcomed it coming back. And I wonder, all those years of him mentioning it, mentioning it, mentioning it in TV interviews and articles really, you know, got Scott Gimple to thinking, you know, why not bring him back in a flashback? C.C. Uh, Weezy writes, I would love to see the governor's story starting at the point where his wife had her accident and him becoming the governor. Exactly. There's a lot of backstory that can be told in regards to the governor's character. I mean, huge. You can take it any way you want to go. Uh, all the way to when we did meet him uh, out in that field in the beginning of season three, when Andrea and Michonne ran into him, when they encountered those soldiers and they murdered them. So, lots of backstory to tell. Uh, obviously, The Walking Dead comes from a graphic novel series by Robert Kirkman. There's three novels within that. The Rise of the Governor, The Road to Woodbury, and The Fall of the Governor. They are all brilliant stories, Morrissey said. If I returned, I'd love to return in a filmic way to tell all those stories. Ah, so not only does he want to return, but he wants to do it in film. What do you guys think about that? Would you guys rather see the governor uh, reprise his role maybe in a limited TV show? A couple of episodes or in a single episode of Tales of the Walking Dead? Or do you want to see him in a film? Uh, for me, uh, either one works for me. The Walking Dead has been playing around with expanding its format to include all sorts of different things. It started with The Walking Dead and its spin-off Fear the Walking Dead. Then it spawned Walking Dead World Beyond. Um, a limited, sorry, where was I? Uh, World Beyond, a limited series which will only go for, go for 20 episodes. Two full seasons. Now it's doing these prequel one-off episodes and it's still filming a rick grimes movie so yeah i can fully believe they may un end up doing some sort of material adaptation of some unseen governor stories uh, either as a few strung together episodes or bundling them together as a movie i'm all for this as i thought the governor was great and I wouldn't say not seeing him, uh, I would not mind seeing a lot more from him. I do wonder who else would appear in his past story, as it seems unlikely we'd get more than a cameo or two from past characters. And you don't need cameo characters. You don't need characters from The Walking Dead to make a really badass governor uh, story. You can have all completely new cast and just bring in David Morrissey as the governor. I do not think they're planning some sort of plot twist where, surprise, the governor survived his apparent death all those seasons ago and has come back later, uh, years later, seeking revenge. No, the guy's dead. That would be pretty bad, even if uh, it would give us the governor versus Negan showdown for the ages. Now they're going really overboard. Actually, I don't know. Maybe I'm talking myself into this. Yeah, you are. Uh, whatever is happening, we should find out more soon. If they've already started to tease it, stay tuned. So, according to Gimple, a lot of this stuff is in development. Now, development means a lot of things. They could be just starting to talk about it, starting negotiations, or they are deep into the writing process already. 
We have no idea. We just have to wait and find out. But it's obvious now we're going to get a lot more of The Walking Dead. And uh, I remember back over the summer when Comic-Con, the virtual Comic-Con was out, and they announced the Carol and Daryl spinoff and uh, Tales of the Walking Dead. I remember a specific comment that one of our followers made about stretching and spreading the universe a little too thin. And for some reason, after reading the thing about the comedy and and the governor, uh, yeah, there is a point where if you make too much stuff of something, it does lose its value. So it's very tricky line that Scott Gimple has to walk to try to keep this contained. Yeah, grow the universe, expand it, but also keep it contained where it doesn't become just out of control. I don't know of a better way to explain it than that. Uh, Khaleesi writes, I would like to see why he started collecting heads and put them in fish tanks. Why he decided to keep Penny not only the way she was, but a secret. Well, the heads thing, the dude was a psycho. And like he explained to Andrea how he enjoyed watching those zombie arena matches going on with the living. And he just loved watching them. Uh, I think there's no other greater explanation than that as to why he kept severed heads inside aquarium tanks i really don't the guy was just not all there he was a hateful spiteful evil psychopath uh let's see sergio wants to know what would happen if negan met rick before alexandria that's a good uh question uh i would ask what would happen if rick met negan before Negan put the saviors together? To me, that's a more interesting question. We know what Rick was about before Alexandria. What was Negan like before he put together the saviors in the sanctuary? To me, that's a lot more fascinating uh, to find out the answer to that. Marinos from Greece is saying Kalimera, which means good day, welcome. Uh, Aroldo is also waving at us. Welcome to all the new people who've joined us on Instagram. All right. I think this might be the last piece for today. It is. And it's basically why World Beyond does not deserve the hate that it's been getting. Luckily, as I've been saying since episode one of World Beyond, they are going to build this up and it's going to be slow. For the majority of the season, and it was, but it was still great character building. And then it boomed. In the last two, three episodes, uh, it became great. Okay, like I said, they like to do the wind up, they like to take their time, especially when they're telling the story. And remember, uh, the purpose of World Beyond is to give us the background information to the Civic Republic, the Civic Republic uh, military that we need for the Rick Grimes movies. Anyway, this year, another spinoff in the Walking Dead universe was born with a fresh lens centering on a young group of kids growing up in the post-apocalyptic world as they peeled back the layers of the mysterious Civic Republic. The same society whose military force uh, has appeared in every Walking Dead show and is also the one that snatched up Rick Rhymes. Since its premiere, The Walking Dead World Beyond has been met with some harsh criticism from fans and critics alike. These people just expected it to go bam, straight boom into action. The first season of the two-part uh, spinoff uh, series has certainly had to navigate a few bumps on the road while finding its footing, but even though it may not outshine its predecessors, especially with Fear the Walking Dead, 
delivering such a solid season a season alongside the new show world beyond has more to offer than it's getting credit for for some fans the biggest draw of the series was learning more about the crm since they were the mystery the mystery embedded in the walking dead universe for a few years now especially knowing that a badly wounded rick was taken by the organization after he exploded the bridge, unbeknownst to his surviving loved ones. Learning more about the group, including how massive and secretive the authoritarian society is, and how they believe they are the answer to humanity surviving and rebuilding, no matter how many innocent people get massacred along the way. It has offered a few hints as to why Rick has been unable to make it back to his family after so many years, undoubtedly trapped, but also also likely protecting his family from the threat of the CRM as the Civil Republic has seemingly left the Walking Dead crew alone ever since nabbing Rick. And you know what? That's a great theory. What if Rick is staying behind because A, he knows now who they are. He probably definitely knows what they're capable of, all the resources that they have. They could have very easily made a threat to him, stay and work with us, or we're going to go in and obliterate Alexandria and the hilltop. And as far as he knows, the kingdom is still around as well. Uh, he has made the deal with them to keep his family safe, maybe. What exactly are they using him for? especially after so many years and it also really ties into how hope how the whole season of world beyond the first season was them trying to extract hope just because she was smart it's not just because of that it is not out of the realm that they are decided to take rick and keep Rick because of his ability to A, stay alive so long in the post-apocalyptic world, and because he's a good leader. And as I've stated before, they are looking for leaders and scientists and great minds to put together this new future, which we really don't know that much about. Uh, CC writes, the people who don't like the world beyond are just casual Walking Dead fans. That's true. Uh, Singer Chick writes, it just makes sense that Rick is not trying to go home because Isabel told Al no one can know about this group. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. They can't just let him go after they took him in because he knows all about them. He probably knows very much about them right now. Uh, while we may not actually see Rick during the second and final season of The World Beyond, and that has been confirmed, we are not going to be seeing Rick Grimes in The World Beyond. While we continue to learn about this big threat in the final 10 episodes, will obviously play a part in the next chapter of Rick's journey when he makes his franchise return. Outside of the loose connection to Rick, Though, what makes World Beyond special is its diverse and lovable cast of characters that only grow on you more with each episode. And that's a very true statement right there. Namely, adopted sisters, Iris, played by Aaliyah Royale, and Hope Bennett. Oh, by the way, Hope Bennett, Alexa Mansoor is going to be a guest of ours. Uh... We're working on a date, but Hope Bennett from the World Beyond, Alexa Mansoor, is going to be a guest of ours right here on Dead Talk Live. When we get a date, I will announce it to you guys. Hopefully, it'll be sometime very, 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 very soon. But, uh, yeah, she's going to be with us. Very excited to uh, talk with Hope, uh, Alexa, and... Uh, see her feelings on uh on 
how the story played out in season one. For me, the three most vital characters on World Beyond are, of course, Iris, Aaliyah Royale, then Hope, uh, Alexa Mansoor, and then Annette. Okay, Annette Mahandru, who uh, who plays Huck. Those were like the three biggest characters. And uh, with Huck, you did not see it coming until the last three episodes, where it's revealed that she's Elizabeth's daughter and uh, how she was just so vital to everything that was put together in the entire first season of World Beyond. Uh, Lindsay Sparks writes, I like all the Walking Dead series because they're all different from each other, from characters and storylines. That is true. Uh, Andrew Valentine on uh, Instagram writes, she is going to be a good guest. She's going to be amazing, and I'm very excited to be talking to Alexa. Uh, You know, once I get a date set, I will announce it on our social media, but hopefully it's going to be sometime very, very soon. And then, of course, the rest of the cast, Silas, played by Hal Cumpston, and Elton by Nicholas Cantu, who leave their home together to find the Bennett siblings' father, Dr. Leo Bennett, played by Joe Holt. The coming-of-age story combines a feeling of adventure, discovery, family, and the harsh reality of the outside world as these kids attempt to adapt to a new environment unlike where they have been raised, where civilization has collapsed and the undead roam freely as desperate desperate people struggle to survive the living and the dead. Now, one thing I got to say about the world beyond uh, part of the country that we've never really seen before, and that's the Midwest. Yeah, they made it all the way to New York State by the end of season one. These people need to tell the people living on the East Coast, the Northeast, uh, you know, Virginia, New York, Philly, that, hey, there's not that many dead people in the Midwest. (laughs) So go across the Mississippi and you'll have a lot less of the undead to worry about. Because along their journey, they really did not come across some huge hordes that I was kind of expecting to see. They never came across that. Yeah, we saw a dead, sometimes in nice numbers, but nothing like we've seen in Alexandria, Northern Virginia, and Georgia, and all up and down the East Coast. So somebody needs to tell Alexandria, you know, everybody at Alexandria and the hilltop and Oceanside, get your butts over across the Mississippi. It's much nicer over there. Anyway. Uh, Khaleesi writes Blaze of of, uh, Glory Uh, You wrote Blaze of Glory But it's Blaze of Glory Was the biggest horde It was They were all gathered around that fire Lindsay Sparks writes I love all the guests that come on the show Viz Love watching the interviews And I love talking to them as well God we've been on now Still seven and a half months And you know we've surpassed Uh 32 celebrity guest interviews already on this show and the numbers keep growing and i want to thank you guys so much for tuning in and watching all of the great guests that we've had and all the great guests that are still coming up anyway continuing on joining them for the ride is nico tortorella's felix the sister's guardian who is determined to keep them safe like he promised their father, and who finally got to be reunited with his boyfriend, Will, in the season one finale, as well as Annette Mahandru's Huck, a.k.a. Jennifer Malik, another security officer from the campus colony of Omaha, like Felix. Unlike her friend Felix, though, Huck is revealed to be a traitor to our band of explorers and the daughter of the series' main antagonist, Elizabeth Kublik. And I still don't know if I am ready to fully label Elizabeth Kublik a full-on antagonist. There have been really no indications that she's not. 
but I'm still holding out hope that maybe come by the end of the second season, the final season of World Beyond, the goodness in her is actually going to come out and she might actually do the right thing. You never know. Uh, the Lieutenant Colonel, uh, she is the Lieutenant Colonel of the CRM, creating an intriguing new dy dynamic full of dysfunctional family issues and betrayal. Even after deceiving the group, believing everything she has done is for the greater good, something tells us Huck, who once killed her own fellow soldiers in order to save innocent civilians, may not be too thrilled with Mommy Dearest when she learns about the massacre at Campus Colony. And I can guarantee you, Huck is not going to be happy to find out what her mom did. And it's the reason why her, why her mom has not even told her about it and kept the whole plan to herself from the very beginning because she knew that her daughter, Huck, Jennifer, would really... That's not how she wanted it to go down. Remember, it was Huck's plan to infiltrate the campus colony and to extract uh, hope without hurting anybody else there. And her mother just blew that plan to bits after they left. Uh, I want to welcome, I say thank you to Cece Weezy, who's been watching us since our 36th episode. Yes, you have become an awesome regular Cece Weezy, and thank you so much for being here with us every night. Uh, I'm a white boy says it's like the word is following me all good Ruben has joined us on YouTube welcome Ruben push has given us a smiley love face uh, Bruno is with us from Argentina sending us love so welcome uh, so let's finish this article out basically you know I, I want to leave some time it's a long-ass article. It's stuff that we all really know. I've read the important parts about how they, you know, the world beyond did not get uh, a, a fair break in the earlier episodes. But it all ended great, and it brought the whole story together. And now we are all waiting for what should be a fantastic season two of The Walking Dead World Beyond. We only have a limited amount of time left, but I do want to talk about tonight's topic. Tonight we were going to talk about Anne Rice's vampire, uh, vampires. And the reason why I chose Anne Rice's uh, vampires is because uh, AMC uh, over the summer announced that they are picking up Anne Rice's uh, Vampire Chronicles. Vampire Chronicles is a collection of books, including Lestat the famous vampire that was played by Tom Cruise back in the 1990s movies. They are also picking up the lives of the Mayfair witches. That's another Anne Rice novel. Uh, let me just read you the article in regards to AMC picking up the show. Now, I don't know if you guys are big vampire fans. I like vampires. Uh, I love Anne Rice's vampires. They are different, you know? They're not like the Twilight vampires who glitter in the daylight. Oh, my God. But don't get me started on that. Anyway, uh, the Cable Group uh, acquired the Vampire Chronicles. It has also acquired the rights to Lives of the Mayfair Witches, the novels. Uh, author Anne Rice's well-traveled Vampire Chronicle novels have found a new TV home AMC Networks has entered an agreement to acquire rights to both the Vampire Chronicles and Lives of the Mayfair Witches. Um, together, the two encompass 18 books, including three crossovers between the two series. AMC will develop projects based on the books via its AMC Studios banner. Uh, Rollin Jones... Uh, who recently signed an overall deal with the cable company, will be involved in developing projects from Rice's catalog for TV. 
because it's not just one book. It's not just one story. You're talking about 18 separate novels. Uh, Anne Rice is, like I said, biggest character that she has ever created is Vampire Lestat. And if you watched the 1990 movie uh, Interview with a Vampire that starred Tom Cruise as Vampire Lestat and uh, Brad Pitt as Louis, uh, then you know who Vampire Lestat is. He's probably like one of the most famous vampires uh, pre-Twilight. Before that nonsense. Pre-Twilight days, okay? Uh, it was a great movie. I loved Interview with a Vampire. It's told from the perspective of Lestat's companion, which is Brad Pitt, Louis, who was made into a vampire by Lestat back in the 18th century, uh, New Orleans. Uh, and he is telling his story in the 1980s to a person who wants to interview them. And he starts telling his story, and the whole movie is based on him telling his story from the moment just before he became or was turned into a vampire to the present day. And uh, the person, the interviewer, is played by the, the great Christian Slater. It's a great movie. If you've never watched Interview with a Vampire, uh, it's from the 1990s, stars Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, huge stars, Christian Slater, amazing movie. Anyway, there's no shortage of content in today's competitive environment, but proven uh, IP that has captivated millions of fans around the world is something very special and rare, and that is what Anne Rice has created. Sarah Barnett, president of AMC Networks Entertainment Group, and AMC Studios said Wednesday in a statement, these remarkable stories and characters are massive in their appeal, and we are all privileged to take over stewardship of these legendary works and collaborate with a talent like Rollin Jones to find ways for new generations of fans to experience these worlds. And I think it's great that the a whole new generation is going to be introduced to Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles, the Mayfair Witches, and so on. Because you guys are probably, the younger generation is probably not at all familiar with them. Anne Rice is a brilliant author. Uh, you know, she's like exclusive horror vampire you know, she's like the queen of the vampires when it comes to writing about them, creating these awesome storylines. And here's a little tidbit that you guys may not know. I don't know if we have any Nine Inch Nails fans out there, but Trent Reznor purposely bought a house on the same block as Anne Rice because he was such a fan of hers. I don't know if he still owns the house or not. This was a story that came back, came out decades ago back in the late 90s but she has a lot of fans is basically what i'm trying to say uh rice has always said it's always been my dream to see the worlds of my two biggest series unite under a single roof so that filmmakers could explore the expansive and interconnected universe of my vampires and witches the dream is now a reality, and the result is one of the most significant and thrilling deals of my long career. AMC Networks is the latest of several stops for the TV rights to the Vampire Chronicles. Rice announced in November 2016 that she had regained theatrical rights to the novels and was working to develop the, to develop a TV series based on the books. Five months later, Paramount Television and Anonymous Content optioned rights to the franchise in early 2017 with Christopher Rice, a best-selling author in his own right, 
attached to the adopted novels. I don't know if there's any relationship there. Brian Fuller joined the Paramount slash Anonymous project as a showrunner in early 2018, but stepped aside not long afterwards. Brian Fuller has brought us TV shows like Hannibal. He's also the creator of Star Trek Discovery on CBS All Access. That's that's hugely popular and going on right now. Um, in July 2018, more than a year after Paramount TV and Anonymous picked up the rights, the Vampire Chronicle series went to Hulu, which outbid several other outlets. Uh, D. Johnson from Nashville joined as a showrunner in February 2019. Paramount and Anonymous rights expired in late 2019. They're giving you the whole trail of how this became back, came back to Anne Rice, how she wanted to create a TV show, and to show you guys how it's not just that easy to, even if you have best-selling books, to get them to air on a TV show. There's a whole process that has to happen because we started, she started this back in 2016, rights expired, now we're in 2019, leading to the end of the project at Hulu and freeing rice to shop the rights around again. They landed at AMC Networks with the Lives of Mayfair Witches books also a part of the package. AMC Studios is responsible for creating some of the most iconic television series of the modern era and has at times single-handedly defined this era we call peak TV. All the members of Team Anne, including my long-term producing partner, New York Times best-selling novelist Eric Shaw Quinn, are both thrilled and comforted to know that some of our most cherished kin cherished kin from the vampire Lestat and the witch Rowan Mayfair to the paranormal investigators at the Order of Talamasca and the powerful spirit Lasher are now safely in the hands of these vastly accomplished innovators who possess both global reach and deep reservoirs of experience, and that being at AMC. So there you guys have it. If you guys were ever curious to know how an idea, even from a successful book, and the route it has to take to whether to end up on film or on TV, it's not a straight path. Okay, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of logistics in the way. And luckily, I'm just glad that it did land on AMC. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing Anne Rice revive her Vampire Chronicles, to seeing Vampire Lestat, seeing Louie, seeing the Mayfair Witches, and the whole nine yards. Anyway, guys, the hour has just flown by. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow. Don't forget, this Saturday we have special guest Ronan Rubenstein from Smiley Face Killers, also the co-star of 911 Lone Star alongside Rob Lowe. Ronan will be here with us on Saturday. Thank you so much again for tuning in. Visit our website, deadtalklive.com, to see all of our upcoming guests, featured episodes, and a whole lot more. Please visit us on YouTube and subscribe to our channel, which is called Dead Talk Live. Stay safe. Till tomorrow night, guys. Remember, stay walking.